Uh, during this time, I'd like to dismiss our kids to our children's ministry. Kids, thank you for being with us. Also, Rafe, thank you for that. And you guys ever notice that whenever Rafe just talks, he's like, he's so, he preaches everything. You know, like, you know, like his announcements, he's preaching, he's praying, he's preaching. You know, when you're talking with him, he's preaching to you. Really appreciate this guy. And I don't know if you guys know this, but your pastor here, he loves you guys. Can we just give this guy a big hand? He's a, he's a good guy. I appreciate this guy. He's a good guy. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, today we'll be looking at verses 19 to 23. And if you grab one of the church Bibles when you guys came in, those black Bibles, it is page 906. 906. Once again, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Uh, if you guys are new with us, my name is Kenson. I have the honor of being a pastor here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location, uh, your sister location. So always glad to be with you guys. Now, as you guys are turning to John chapter 20, uh, today we're going to take a one-week break from our Judges sermon series. And we're going to spend this morning setting up our hearts and hands for the 40 days of presence. Now, as you guys have already heard numerous times uh, from us, is that these 40 days of presence is a unique opportunity for us to engage and reach our city. That's something that we've said a lot up front here as church leaders, is that as a church, we don't want to be tourists in a city where we just consume and use, but we want to be citizens that serve and take responsibility for the good of our city and for the glory of Christ. And what makes these 40 days different than the rest of the year as I already mentioned, is that these 40 days are typically the most violent time during the year here in Chicago. It's also within these 40 days, our neighbors are out of hibernation. So they're out, we should be out too. And finally, it's in these 40 days, we are participating in something bigger than us. Just like yesterday, that there are thousands of other Christians all across the city committing themselves to these same 40 days as part of a larger initiative called Jesus Summer. And if I can just say this, if we want to see our city renewed by the gospel, no one church can do it. It's going to take a movement of churches coming together, together all across the city of different colors and denominations and languages and traditions, only concerned and unified in building up the only kingdom that matters, his kingdom. Amen? Amen. So with that, let's read our verses and ask God to ready our hearts and hands for this. So once again, John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. And it goes like this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, you are, you, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, as we have a chance now to experience your greatness and your power and your mercy and your grace in the opening of your word, that again our hearts would be ready to receive, that our hearts would be of great anticipation because we are hearing from you. God, put me to the side. Help your son to be exalted in every way. And friends, would you just say this to God? God, send me to love others. God, send me to love others. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've had some really hot days this summer. So me and my family, we spent a lot of time in the neighborhood pool. And something that I'm trying to do with my middle son, who's about two years old, is I'm trying to teach him how to hold his breath underwater, okay? So I'm at the pool with him, and I say, hey, Ethan, you know, look, I'm putting my head underwater. And I go, you know, I go in and I come out and I smile. And he is just cracking up. He thinks it's so funny. And I do it over and over again to show him how easy it is. And every time I do it, he just keeps laughing and smiling and giggling. But then I say these words to him, now it's your turn. And he stops laughing immediately. And he says, no, 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 no. And every time I try to bring him close to the water, he's screaming for his life. And being a good dad, I keep modeling and how to do it. I keep telling him you can trust me. And every time I say, now it's your turn, he runs, he screams, he kicks. Now, I share this with you because Jesus today says the same thing to his disciples. Now it's your turn. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As I have gone, it is now your turn to do the same. And friends, just like my son, we hear this and we're like, you know, Jesus, no, 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 no. You know, I love the fact that Jesus was sent, okay. I love the fact that people are going. I love celebrating stories of faithfulness. But when it comes to me and my faithfulness, you know, no thanks, I'll pass. But here's the thing. When Jesus sends us, it is not an option. It is a command for all of us to obey. In verse 21, Jesus tells us here that if you claim to know and follow God, you will always be sent by God. You know, consider the pattern in Scripture. In Genesis 12, God is speaking to Abram, soon to be Abraham. And he says to him, Abram, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to bless the nations through you. And Abraham's like, that's great. But then God says immediately right after that, well, it's time for you to get out. It's time for you to go. It's time for you to leave the people and place that you're familiar with. I will show you this blessing, but it's going to be somewhere else. You also have Moses. He meets God in the burning bush and he is awed by God. And the next thing he says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. Go to the most powerful ruler in the world and tell him to let my people go. And you also have Isaiah who gets this incredible vision of God and his glory filling the temple. And in this vision, God says, who will go for me? Who will preach for me? And Isaiah says with great eagerness, here I am. And now you get our verses here and you have the resurrected Jesus standing before his disciples. His wounds and scars show that he's no imposter and his presence before them shows that he was not defeated by the cross. The disciples are awed by what they see. And what does Jesus do next? He sends them. If you follow God, if you claim to have had a powerful life-changing encounter with God, you will be sent by God. Because the good news of Jesus is too good to be kept to yourself. This is why Christians are a so that people. Let me just show you three verses and what I mean here. That we are a so that people. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we've been reconciled to God. Why? 
so that we would preach the message of reconciliation. Matthew 5, we are the light of the world. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Every blessing, every grace that we have received from God always starts inward in transforming our hearts. But it never stays inward. It will always push us outward to others. As Christ followers, you are either sent or you're totally missing the purpose of your salvation. There is no exception, there is no other categories for Christ followers. Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in the 19th century, said this. Let me show it to you here. He said this. You're either a missionary or you're an imposter. Either you're a missionary or you're an imposter. Now, to be clear here, we might not all be sent to go overseas. We might not all be called to move from our homes. But we are all called to move out of our comfort zones for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. We are sent people because we have a sending God. So with that, here are three questions I want to answer to help us understand what it means to be sent and how we can live out these next 40 days. And here are the three questions. Why does Jesus send us? What does Jesus send us to do? And third, how does Jesus send us? Okay, so first, why does Jesus send us? He sends us because there is a mission before us. Now, a little context on what's going on here is that right now in our story, it's three days, you know, in this story here, three days before this story, Jesus is murdered on the cross. And his followers are devastated that this was supposed to be their Messiah, that this was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to overturn the Roman government. But instead of seeing their Messiah victorious, they seem to get crushed and beaten and killed. So they hide in fear. And it's in this despair the resurrected Jesus shows up on that Sunday evening. Now, we're not sure if Jesus just walked into the room unnoticed. We're not sure if he floated through the walls. We're not sure if he got beamed in all Star Trek style, okay. The passage here isn't very clear about this. But what we do know is that he shows up and the disciples are shook here, okay. They're, they're, they're like, they don't know what's going on. So they touch him, they hug him, they make sure he's the real deal. And he is. It says in verse 20, the disciples were glad to see the Lord. Their gladness is rooted in the fact that he is here. This is him. This is Jesus. The cross wasn't the end. What a joyous occasion. But notice, before they even have a chance to enjoy the moment and take out the food and drink, Jesus immediately tells them to go. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm kind of thinking to myself, Jesus, you know, What's the rush, man? You've had a really hard weekend. This is, you had a really hard day. Just take it easy. This can all wait. No, it can't wait. Jesus sends immediately. Why? Because there is a mission to pursue. In verses 22 to 23, it tells us what this mission is. Look at verse 22 and 23 here. And Jesus said this, and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now in verse 23, it sounds confusing. Because it sounds like he's saying to his disciples, you now have the power to forgive and to condemn. Okay. 
No, they don't, okay? Only God has the power to forgive sins and to judge others. What is happening here is that we can see this actually in the Greek, that when John is writing this, he's using the perfect tense for the word forgiven. Now, the perfect tense in the Greek gives this sense of completed action, past action, that is continuing results right now in the presence. So when Jesus says to them, you forgive sins, he doesn't mean that you are forgiving sins, but instead you recognize the forgiveness of sins in their life that's already been happening, that when they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you see that forgiveness happening because it lines up with God's word. When Jesus sends his disciples, we need to see this. It's for this reason. It's for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus tells them, and he is telling us humanity's greatest need. It's not universal health care. It's not the wiping out of nuclear weapons. It's not the ending of world hunger. It's having a right relationship with God. The gospel tells us that we have a God who is holy and righteous and perfect. That he created and intended everything to live to delight in him. But we chose to love ourselves more than God. We chose to live in rebellion to God and his ways and that is sin. And because of that, the penalty of sin is death. It's pain and suffering in this life and it's pain and suffering after this life for all eternity. And once you die, there is no mulligans, there's no second chances, there's no, you know, whoops. It's an eternity of lostness. And left to ourselves, there is no hope. We are all perishing. A holy and just God must punish sinners. But this is the same God who is also loving and merciful to sinners, so he sends. He sends his one and only son so that he could live the perfect life that we could never live and die the death that we deserved for our sin. That in Christ there is now forgiveness of sins. That when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and turn from our sin and run into his saving arms, we will be washed clean and our debt will be paid for in full. This is the good news. We are all perishing, but it doesn't have to be this way. God has made another way. And this is the mission that is before us, to point to the way, to the truth, and to the life, Jesus Christ. This is why Park Community Church is in the South Loop neighborhood. This is why we're pursuing the 40 days of presence, because there is such a thing as the forgiveness of sin. There is such a thing as lost people being found. That there is such a thing as having a right relationship with God. That there is such a thing as having an eternity with no suffering and pain. And all of this is possible by having faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we can't be complacent or comfortable or wait for a better time to be sent because there are thousands of people living in the South Loop neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods who are facing a Christless eternity. That there are people out there who are precious to God because they are made in His image. That these are people just as deserving of grace as we are. And we have a responsibility to God and to them to tell them this great news. It is for this reason we are sent. Friends, have you given yourself to this mission? Or are you more concerned about your own mission? 
You know, so often, you know, our prayers are filled with this, right? Especially if you guys are just starting off, you know, in your careers, you know. God, you know, help me find, you know, your will for my life. God, help me to know your will. You know what gets me about this? God's will is not lost. God's will is not lost. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord says this, I do not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's will is clear for all of us. It is to seek and to save the lost. You know, I kind of see it like this. It's kind of like this, you know, we're kind of in the loop area, you know, we're standing across the railroad tracks. And on the tracks, you know, we see a young child stuck on the tracks with a broken leg and they can't get up off on their own. And a train is making their way right down the tracks. In that moment... You're not going to be like, huh, that's a situation. Let me just get on my knees and pray to God. God, what is your will for me in this moment, okay? You don't need to ask for God's will because you know what it is. It's to get the kid off the track. It's to rescue and save the child. Some of us here are going around asking God, what's your will for my life? You know, what should I give my life to? God has already made it clear. He's given you his word. You don't need a special voice from God. You have a verse from the Bible, you have a mission to live for. You know, C.T. Studd, a 19th century British missionary, said this. Let me show it to you. He said this. Some want to live within the sound of a church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. All right, that's convicting. We are sent because there is a mission to pursue. Here's the second question. What does Jesus send us to do, right? If our mission is to seek and save the lost, how are we to go about it? Now, again in verse 21, it says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That first word, as, tells us that as we are sent, we are to consider Jesus' example. Now, there's dozens to mention, but let me just highlight one. Being sent means having the ministry of presence. Being sent means having the ministry of presence. You know, John chapter 1 says this. Let me show it to you. John 1 says this. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When God chose to save us, he didn't save us from a distance. He didn't save us from a place of safety and comfort. He put himself right in our mess. Mess For Jesus to take on flesh, it meant that he was close enough to touch, close enough to eat with, close enough to cry over and to wipe his feet, close enough to hear him teach and pray, and also close enough to be mocked. Close enough to be slapped, close enough to be spit on, close enough to be killed. Jesus' sentness is seen in his presence. And in the same way, our sentness must be defined with presence. Because when it comes to the mission, Jesus doesn't send programs here. He doesn't send an email blast. He doesn't send pamphlets. He doesn't send some sort of special Christmas cantata. He sends us. He sends his church to represent him in the city. And this is why we're calling these 40 days the 40 days of presence. It's because wherever we go, we can show off the character of Christ in us. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are called the hands and feet of Jesus. So what this means is that wherever we go, we bring healing with us because Jesus is the great physician. We can bring mercy with us because Jesus is the good shepherd. 
It means that we can bring spiritual nourishment because Jesus is the bread of life. It means that wherever we can go, we can bring hope because Jesus is the light of the world. To be sent is to have the ministry of presence because it's through our lives we can show off Jesus. Now, this ministry of presence, though, it is a choice to make. Just like the disciples, we can stand, stay behind the safety of these church walls. We can stay in our holy huddles. We can make excuses of, you know, we're too busy. You know, we don't want to be inconvenienced. Our calendars are too full. But here's the thing. The ministry of presence is never going to be convenient and easy. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to be risky. Why? Because this is what it takes to truly love your neighbor. That if you want to show people during these 40 days that these are people that we love and not projects that we work on, the only way that they can see this is if we're willing to pay the cost to be with them. One of the ways we know that Jesus loves us is because when he was with us, it cost him his life. You know, yesterday I had a chance uh, to join the church, uh, my Bridgeport location, and doing spiritual surveys across the neighborhood. And with the rain, it made it really tricky to, pe to find people to chat with. So my partner and I, Liz, we decided that, you know, we're just going to go to the local coffee shop because people, they will come out in the rain for their coffee, for their caffeine. So we just stood right outside the door waiting for folks to make their way in and out. And this couple came out, you know, Tom and Kathy. And as they came out, we just asked them, hey, did you have a few minutes to answer a few questions from this survey? Now, initially, they were hesitant. You know, you know I, I look kind of sketchy. So they're kind of like, I don't really want to talk to this guy here, you know. But they were nice enough to hang around. You know, so Kathy, and, so Kathy and Tom, we had a chance to know them. Kathy has some Christian background. Tom considered himself an agnostic. So we just started working through the questions. You know, the first question is, do you believe in a higher power? We talked for a bit. The next question was, do you believe in an afterlife? We talked for a bit. And the last question we asked was this. What does a good church look like in this neighborhood? Like, in your, in your opinion, well, how would you define a good church? And Tom speaks up, and Tom says, you know what, I can't think of a good example, but let me tell you a bad example. And Tom starts sharing about the house that he last lived in, which is right across a church. Not too far from us, actually, not too far from us. And he said that that church, I live right across the street from it, I could not stand him. The church on weekends would give no consideration to any of the neighbors. They would all double park and create tons of congestion. They were rude to the neighbors. They ignored the neighbors as they went to church. And one time, Tom said that as he was standing outside, he could hear even one of the church attenders say, I wish all the Asians would just move out of our neighborhood here. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But, but this is the one thing that really caught my attention. He said, Kenson, you need to know this. This church never bothered to welcome us. They always had their doors closed. You knew that they didn't care about anybody else but themselves. You know, church, would our neighbors across the street say the same thing about us? Do they know that we love them? Do they know that we're not here to consume, but we're here to serve? Do they know that the empty seats that we have in here is not for us? It's not for you to have extra leg room here. It's not for you to put your purse or your coat or whatever there. It's for them. 
How will they know this though? The only way they will know this is not if we stay behind these walls. It's not because if we stay in our holy huddles. We must go out. We must engage. We must be present. This is why for your 40 days here, a huge key initiative for you guys is to do prayer walks all across the neighborhood. That we're not going to have them come to us. We're going to go out there and be with them. That we do not want to be a church that is all about come and see. We want to be a church that is go and tell. To be sent is to have the ministry of presence. And here's the final third question. How does Jesus send us? Verse 21 to 22. Look at this again. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends us with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to point out that the word used here is breathe. And this word can also be translated as fill. Like how the wind can fill the sails of a boat and move it. And what Jesus is doing here is that when he sends his disciples, he is promising to empower his disciples as they go. That just like how the wind is big, powerful, and unstoppable, the Holy Spirit in us is big, powerful, and unstoppable. Now, why does Jesus need to do this? Because only God can do the work of God. When Jesus sends us, it's not, a, it's, it's not that he now makes us the CEO of this mission here. It's not as though saying, well, now I'm done. I'm going to clean my hands. It's all yours now. No, this is still Christ's mission and he will be the one to accomplish it. That he started it on the cross and he will bring it to completion when he returns again. The difference now is that he now invites us to join him in this unstoppable mission. That he invites us to let the Holy Spirit let loose and just do its thing. To fill us, to lead us, to empower us in this mission. Only God can do the work of God. Do you see? When God sends us, God will also go with us. And he must go with us because this mission is way too big for us. And this is scary. That's what we feel. We feel the weight of this, and it's scary. And Jesus knows this too. If you notice in our verses here, Jesus says, peace with you, twice. Peace with you. The first time he says it is in verse 19. And he says this because he wants to calm their fears. Because the disciples are already on edge, and Jesus just kind of shows up out of nowhere. So he's just like, cool down, it's all right, it's just me. Take it easy here. The second time he says it is in verse 21. And the reason he says it this time is to calm their joy. As you can imagine, the disciples are excited to have Jesus back. And they're thinking, Jesus, Jesus is here. We're back in the game, baby. And like what we've done for the last three years, we're going to let Jesus do all the hard work, do all the miracles. We'll let him take on all the bad guys. And we'll go ahead and ride his, on his coattails. Nope, that's not what happens. Jesus looks at them and says, now it's your turn. Calm your joy. Because what is ahead of you is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult. Many of you will die for this. Many of you will die for this. And they did die for this. Jesus here never ever talks away the danger when he sends them. If anything, when he shows them the marks on his hands and feet, it's a testament to just how dangerous this mission is going to be and how costly it's going to be. And for many of us, this is the fear that keeps us from obeying. This is the fear that keeps us hidden and why we lock the doors. 
that we fear not being prepared enough, that we fear that we might look stupid, that we fear the cost it's going to take, we fear the rejection, we fear that people will stop liking us, we fear that we won't have the margin. So instead of being sent, we just settle. We stay comfortable, we hide, we give the bare minimum. So as we think about these 40 days, we're thinking about, man, you know what, you know, I can't do this. The fear takes over. So instead of finding all the reasons to participate, you're finding excuses to avoid it. But here's the thing, why are we doing this with Christ's glory, right? You, you don't do this when it comes to a Cubs game or to Hamilton tickets, right? You're not finding excuses not to go to it. You're finding every reason to convince yourself that I must go to this. So why is it when it comes to Christ's glory, we do the reverse? Let me just think of every excuse not to do this. When we as Christ followers should find every reason why we should go out and inconvenience ourselves. But can I just give you guys some good news here? When Jesus breathes on us the Holy Spirit, he's telling you and me what I've just said here. He knows that we don't have what it takes to accomplish his mission. That we can't do it on our own. It's not like even when Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, it's not like you do 50% and I'll do 50%. No, that's not what happens. Jesus here, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, is basically saying, you can't do anything. Now, how is this good news? Right? This sounds pretty discouraging, right? This is good news because when Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, he takes all the responsibility in bringing the spiritual fruit because he deserves all the glory. All we have to do is be faithful and get out of the Spirit's way in our lives. When Jesus gives us the Spirit, we have to understand here that he gives us the very same power that he rested on in his earthly ministry. This is why Jesus can say to us that as the Father sends me, I send you. The reason he can give us the same mission, the same gospel to proclaim, the same people to serve in need. And to be able to say now it's your turn is because he now sends us with that same Holy Spirit. That this is the spirit that will give us comfort and counsel when we're discouraged and weary. John 16, 7. That this is the spirit that will give us the words to speak when we don't know what to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. So just open your mouth and share Jesus. That when we feel like our words aren't doing anything, it's the spirit that convicts hearts and leads them towards, away from sin and towards righteousness and not you. John 16, 8. And when others reject us, the Spirit is our seal and assurance of salvation. Ephesians 1.13. So don't lose heart. When everyone else rejects you, remember that you are loved and accepted by the only person who matters, God himself. Do you guys see? When Jesus gives us the Spirit, he doesn't just give us power to give us power. He doesn't give us his presence just to give us his presence. He gives us his Spirit so that we would be bold. Wherever we go for him, he will always go with us. Amen? Amen. We are sent because we have ascending God. You know, to close our time, you know, I want to share with you what happened again this morning at North Avenue Beach here. That we had once again over 120 people from all across our different church locations step out onto the lake, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and demonstrate it through their baptism. And church, can I just remind you, this is why we are sent this is why we're investing these 40 days is so that we can celebrate and see these stories of God's transforming grace all across our city. Amen. Amen. Let's watch this video.